you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, if you need a tune-up, stick around. If you need a complete overhaul, this is the place to be. This is the podcast where we discover how to find or create work that you love, work that's meaningful, work that's fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. We don't leave that out. Yes, you can have work that you love and still have it be very profitable. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Got great questions from you, the listeners. What can I do to stay sane at my current job and prepare for business ownership while I'm waiting to break away? I used to operate at the top of my game, but now feel dead in the water. You know, we got a lot of questions today from people who just feel like they're stuck. Like they, uh, here, here's another one. Dan, my confidence is so low, I can't seem to make any traction. Here's another one. How does someone like me who has taken so many body blows get his mojo back? Well, we've got other questions as well. Could you direct me to a, a coach or group or a website with the focus of stay-at-home mom type jobs? Yeah, absolutely. Dan, as a chiropractor, I've not been able to build a thriving practice at $75 a session. Should I lower my prices? Now, there's a great business question. We'll look at that. Is that the solution to being more successful? Dan, I feel like I keep finding the reason why I can't do a business rather than the cans. Well, this week I was listening to Andy Traub's interview. He does a podcast based on Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin. But he was interviewing John G. Miller, author of QBQ. One of John's statements really grabbed me. He says, procrastination is the friend of failure. Boy, now there's something that ought to get, up, get us off our backsides, you know, procrastination is the friend of failure. Isn't that the truth? There's another saying that I've used for years. I think I heard it from Robert Shuler years ago. He says, indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. You know, I see that a lot today. People who just simply get stuck. You know, indecision is a decision. If you are deciding what kind of car to buy and you can't make a decision, and you just keep going, you're going to get stuck along the side of the road if you have a car that's wearing out. I mean, not a good place to be. That indecision will end up working against you. Plus, it cripples your effectiveness in other areas. We know that for sure. The Bible confirms that. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You don't want to be that. Well, let's go into some of the questions. Patricia from Kansas says, I'm a mechanical engineer in my first job at the same company for five plus years. I'm not happy anymore. I'm reading your book, but I feel incapable of making a change. I enjoyed engineering for the first few years, but I wish I could find an engineering job that incorporated presenting, teaching, interaction with other human beings, which can be tough with engineer personalities. Maybe I just haven't opened my mind enough to unconventional options. How can I get to this point? Would seeing a coach help? Maybe I'm scared of change, but not sure how to lose this fear. Just changing companies or industries is tempting, but scary in that that may be a temporary fix. Thanks. Well, you know, in your first job, there are going to be 
certain specific things that are true of that job. Every company has what we call a corporate culture. Every company, even if it's an identical industry, identical kind of company to the one down the street, it's going to be much different. So what you're seeing is just a microcosm of what your work as a mechanical engineer could be. Sure, you ought to be able to have a a job that incorporates presenting, teaching, interaction with other human beings. But it may not be that in your current job, that really is on the horizon. If not, you've been there five years. That's a good first work experience. Do a job search. Find another opportunity. And this is not just, you know, burn the bridge at the first sign of trouble, but that's how you continue to move up in your career path anyway. I mean, when we know the average job is 2.2 years in length, in five-year job, you're already messing up our statistics. I mean, that's a pretty long stint in some industries today. So you don't have to initiate change just for the sake of change. But if you're unrest, if you're restless, if you're frustrated in what you're doing, absolutely. Those are indicators. It's time to make a change. Nobody wins if you just stay in a position that's frustrating to you. So go ahead and do a job search. See what you find out there. Well, Dave from Arizona says, I'm a 33-year-old husband, father, sole breadwinner for my family. I've been a cop for six years, but dream of owning my own business. My wife is studying nursing and will start working in about two and a half two to two and a half years. We've agreed that the safest time for me to leave my job for entrepreneurship is when she begins her career. But I feel drained every day because of the negative bureaucracy I work in. What can I do to stay seen at my current job and prepare for business ownership while I'm waiting to break away? I'm chomping at the bit. I have some experience in selling mortgages, developing websites, freelance writing, network marketing, hotel management, payroll, basic accounting. Plus I've lived in Italy years ago and speak Italian. P.S. Your podcast helps me stay positive and motivated. Thanks. Well, thanks for your note, Dave, and for your question. What a perfect window of opportunity. Now, you described that your wife is going to finish her nursing degree and start working about two years. That's 24 months. I mean, start the clock. I don't think that you're under the gun to do something impulsively and just pull the plug in what you're doing. And frankly, when you're initiating change in multiple areas, it can be overwhelming for a family. So two years is not a very long period of time. Now I understand, believe me, the frustration you say that you have in wanting to move on and start your own business. But here's what I would recommend. Again, Perfect window of opportunity. 24 months, I mean, it's going to pass in the blink of an eye. You're 33 years old. You're still young. But start now. Start today by creating a clear focus for what your business would be. I mean, research the possibilities. Then do a business plan. I mean, most of the ideas that you mentioned could easily be done on the side along with your current job. You talk about, uh, what was it, uh, developing websites, freelance writing, network marketing, payroll basic accounting, I mean, they could all be started at any time. Now, let's, let's just say that you start with a network marketing company. You recognize that's a great fit for you. So you've done your research. Now, I'm, I'm speaking here the end of May 2012. So let's say that you take a couple months here. You do some research. You really figure this all out. You create a clear plan and you get involved in February of next year. Okay, so we got February of 2013. 
That gives you eight months to learn the systems, the marketing methods suggested. Then you choose the company. You get involved, start to build your organization. Now, network marketing, I mean, you don't go in and start making big money. You start with nothing. So in the first year, your income starts at zero, but it grows. Let's say that it grows by 50% every month. And the first month you make $100. So that means the next month you make $150. The third month would be $225 and so on. Now month 10, that's going to be about um, $4,300. By month 12, because it's going 50% per month, you're going to be at $8,600. If you, at that point, kind of slow down, you just maintain at that rate, that's $103,000 annually, and now you're making more at your side job than on your real job, now you can create a transition on your own terms. Nobody in the family is going to suffer. Start, let it grow till it equals or bypasses your current income, and you won't have to have those hard conversations with your wife about leaving your current job. So I would challenge you to do that. You know, this week I had to, had the pleasure of interviewing Chris Gillibue. He's got a brand new book out called The $100 Startup. Phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. Jump on his site, 100, oh, golly, I think it's, I think it's just 100startup.com. But anyway, search for it. You'll find Chris Gillibue's site promoting his new book with a lot of resources uh, the book is going to set you back probably 10 bucks or something anyway by all means pick it up but here's a great line from chris in the prologue now he talked about the fact that he just never was thrilled about having a job he had a couple false starts but he really never could do that very well but here's what he says there's no rehab program for being addicted to freedom once you've seen what it's like on the other side Good luck trying to follow someone else's rules ever again. That's a great synopsis. Chris is a great guy. He is on track to visit every country in the world by the time he's 35. He's now 34, but he's visited 185 of the 203 identifiable countries. So he's on track doing some very innovative things, but also, I mean, he he wasn't you know, some rich socialite kid that's just out here traveling. No, he has to make his own way. So he earns income while he lives the life that he wants to live. But the $100 startup, great thing to add to your library pronto. Well, Brian from Tennessee says, now this is another cop. This is a different uh, perspective. The one we just talked about, he wants to get out of being a cop and do his own thing. Here's one. Says Dan, for the last nine years, I was a police officer, detective with Metro Police Department. I loved the job. I enjoyed helping people and solving problems. I was recently injured and put on a meager medical pension. I'm in my mid-30s. I really want to find a new direction that uses my skills and passions to create an income and work I love. The problem is I feel so physically and mentally broken. It consumes me and keeps me from jumping on any new opportunity. Losing my career was like losing my identity. I feel so lost. I used to be a go-getter. Do you have any advice for someone struggling with the mental, physical aspects of an injury that are hampering the person from pursuing passions and opportunities? I used to operate at the top of my game, but now feel dead in the water. Well, here's what I recommend, Brian. Look at the assets in areas of your life other than work. I mean, what about your family well-being? What about your spiritual vitality, your ability to read, learn, think in new areas? I mean, don't allow yourself to feel totally derailed because your work 
went away. Your work changed. If we put that much focus and importance on our work, then we are all vulnerable. We ought to be able to know who we are and how our life has value. Our life continues without a blimp, even if the job goes away. I mean, jobs, any kind of job we have, even if we have our own business, we're still up as a likely candidate to see that go away or change. If that happens, it should not change who we are. All of a sudden, we don't know who we are. We're nothing. We're worthless. No. Hold your head high. Pull your shoulders back. You should be the same person, but just with that one area of your life where you now need to fill in the gap. Now, I know that when you lose something major in your life, and it feels like a pin in a balloon. All the energy is sucked out in that direction. We know Shakespeare said many years ago, a man with a toothache cannot be in love. Well, you kind of get the picture there. If you have a toothache, that's all you think about. You don't think about relationships and being without work can be that kind of a force in our lives. But we need to take stock of what are the other areas of my life where I can be making massive deposits of success, even if I don't have a job in this particular day. Now, certainly you want to get up and running again, but look at the things that you can learn, the new things that you can develop. Look at what your passions are. Look at the things that attracted you to to police and detective work initially. I'll bet there are things that you can still do that are related to those, even if you can't be out on the beat anymore. I mean, that's the way to look at these kind of inevitable transitions. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. Each week, I take questions from you, the listeners, unpack a few that we can talk about here together so we can all learn principles that will take us to higher levels of success in our work, business, career, and lives. It goes beyond just work. If you got a question, go to the 48days.com site, click on podcast. You'll see a little box jump up there where you can submit your question. Be delighted to consider it for an upcoming podcast. Claire from New York says, I practice chiropractic. In New York City. For professional ethical reasons, I don't accept health insurance. I charge a regionally fair fee. Geez, that's hard to say. A regionally fair fee of $75 a session. I get glowing reviews and referrals from my patients. However, new people rarely want to pay out of pocket and seek reimbursement. I've tried cash plans to spread out costs, but patients resent paying the balance once they're better. Chiropractors in rural America charge $37 a session on average. Because I've not been able to build a thriving practice on $75 a session, I've been thinking of charging $37 to make my service more attainable. Business coaches warn charging too low for care undermines perceived value. In order to pay overhead, I would have to quadruple my current patient base, and I'm not confident I can do that. I'm scared the problem is me. May I have your opinion? Thank you for your time. Thank you for your question. Great question. And thank you for the confidence to ask me, and here's what I'm going to tell you. Seth, Seth Godin writes about this frequently. But here are kind of his thoughts interspersed with mine, but uh, certainly I want to kind of help you through this. Cheaper is the last refuge of the person who's given up on creative marketing. I mean, cheaper is easier and faster. It's easy to do. It's easy to put the word out there, at least at first, but being cheaper doesn't usually spread the word. It doesn't make people 
talk about you because you're remarkable. It's a short-term hit. It's not a long-term advantage or a long-term plan at all. It doesn't create loyalty because all it does is put you on the bubble for now somebody's going to charge instead of 37, somebody's going to charge 36. Cheaper is a race to the bottom and it'll destroy your practice, especially in a professional practice like you're talking about. Don't try to be cheaper. Be better. Do something remarkable. Do something that makes you stand out from all the other chiropractors. I mean, it could be, you know, a free five-minute back massage when you come in. It could be a rose every time that somebody comes in. Don't be cheaper. Be expensive, but be remarkable. Now, there's a whole lot involved in your question. I wish we had a, a day and a half to just address that. But my advice is do not try to be cheaper. I mean, as a coach, my rates are probably in the top 1% of what coaches charge across the country, in the top 1%. I mean, there's coaches that charge $60 an hour. My rates are multiples of that, much, much higher. And I have people standing in line trying to get in for me as a coach. I mean, I think it probably, at, at every move, it increased the backlog of people wanting to get in as I increased prices, not as I decreased, which I've never done. But in doing that, it is going to hurt your credibility. It's going to hurt your professional regard. It will undermine your relationship with your current customers and thinking that, well, I must have been paying too much all along. And I don't think you have to go. I mean, I love the fact that you're not taking insurance. Self-pay is a growing part of health care. I mean, Joanna and I have an HSA, health savings account, with a $7,000 deductible. What that tells you is we pay for everything. We pay for everything. And certainly chiropractic and massages, things like that, dental, vision, but even the, even the, normal, uh, even the normal medical care, we pay for it. But again, we don't go for just cheap, even though we're paying for it. We have a lady who comes to our house every Friday afternoon to give us a massage. We've had her for about eight years. We've never questioned her rates, and she gets more and more expensive. But she's the gal we want. Her service is remarkable. That's what we want. And I would encourage you to go there. Look for ways to be remarkable, not ways to be cheaper. This comes from Nathan. Dan, I just read your blog, specifically the sentence about artists finding new ways to market their work. I'm an author of a young adult fantasy adventure book. It's the first in a series of, a no of novels to take young adults on a journey through the entire Bible so they discover their creator and his ultimate rescue plan for us. In addition to Christian and non-Christian young adults, my reader audience is turning out to be ages adults of all ages, which is great. My challenge is this. Since this series is integrally related to the Bible, schools are hesitant to let me come and speak to students. Churches are also a little hesitant to let me come because they want to be assured that my book is theologically sound and pastors typically don't take time to read fiction. Having been a pastor for 10 years, I totally understand that. However, I have mouths to feed. I have a bunch of ministry leader endorsements, parent endorsements, student endorsements, and the reaction across the board is people love this book. Where can I find some new ideas on how to market my work? Golly, I wish I had easy answers for you, Nathan. I mean, I, I know I've seen your work and doing great work in that arena still leaves you a very tiny, specific, narrow niche 
of prospects. Unfortunate. And you've identified the very reasons. Being Christian, you're going to be eliminated from a whole lot of audiences out here who could maybe benefit from the general principles that you've got. And also being Christian, specifically Christian, yeah, you're going to be looked under a microscope by any church or denominational group because they may think that it doesn't line up exactly with where they are. So it, it just unfortunately paints you into a corner. I really, and this is probably not what you want to hear, I'm probably going to recommend that you go back and look at your book with new eyes, rewrite it so that it does not have those narrow niches. My books, it's really not hard to figure out that I have a Christian worldview in reading my books. However, like with No More Mondays, as an example, and we did two versions of that. We did a version that was a New York business book, and then I went back in and added 7% more content, and that was published under Random House's Christian imprint, Waterbrook, out of Colorado Springs. And it has at the top of the book a red band that says expanded version. So that's the Christian version. However, in the Christian version, you can do a word check on that. I never used the word Christian. I used spiritual framework for that. It's well accepted in Christian bookstores, but it's also accepted in universities as textbook. And they, for the most part, prefer that version over the version that was did not have a spiritual framework. Because even with that, I did not make it so Christian that somebody's going to be offended if they're not a Christian or if they are Baptist as opposed to Lutheran, Methodist, or Pentecostal, or Assemblies of God. I, I I don't think this is a matter of going back and watering it down, but it's making it more palatable for people in a broader market if that, in fact, is what you're looking for. And if that's true, then just go back and redo it and make it something where you can hold your head high, be proud of the content, but where it's going to be accepted in a broader area. I mean, I have book, my books like 48 Days to the Work You Love that are used in the General Motors Skill Training Centers. Well, they are not going to do that in that kind of a corporate environment if it is going to ostracize or alienate anybody who maybe is not a Christian. And yet in 48 Days, I liberally use scripture references. So you can do that. You can do that. And people really are very open spiritually these days. But if you make it too narrowly defined in your theology, you know, you're going to just back yourself into a corner. And that's unfortunate. But I encourage you to perhaps look at your eyes through the eyes of the reading market that you would want. Sarah says, I'm seeking inspiration for a viable business that I can do from home while also being the primary caregiver for my infant son. I've been searching and searching, keep coming up empty. I feel like I keep finding the reason why I can't do a business rather than the cans. It seems as though I'm underqualified and don't have enough experience or knowledge for many of the ideas. Could you direct me to a coach or a group or website with a focus of stay-at-home mom type jobs? I need some inspiration from women who are already succeeding in this area. Grateful for all you do. I can give you a ton of stuff, Sarah. That's such a common area. When I was on the, the radio one time on Moody Radio out of Chicago, and they have a very large worldwide women audience. Those are women, most of whom are primary caregivers, want to stay at home, but still many of them want to see if they can't contribute income to the home. I mean, a very legitimate, reasonable goal. That's when I started talking about 
what then turned into 48 low-cost business ideas. I said, I'm going to create something, just go here and click there. Now, we still, that's a product that we sell at 48days.com, but it's also a free resource if you're in the 48days.net community. You can just go up to resources, and I know there's a link there to go to that free resource, 48 48 low-cost business ideas. Also, check out, there's a book out there titled Mompreneurs. Now, it's been around for a few years, and I'm not sure how easily you can find it, but it's Mompreneurs, and it addresses exactly what you're talking about. Check out the work of Carrie Wilkerson, Barefoot Executive is her company brand. She's got tons of resources for stay-at-home moms. Go to the 48days.com worksheets. Now, if you go to the 48days.com site, click on worksheets, you'll see a drop down, and in there you're going to see Work You Love and No More Mondays appendix and additional resources. So in that appendix, I've got a whole lot of sources for work at home, stay at home, moms at home kind of resources. You can find it there. Dear Dan, I'm a regular listener of your podcast. Love your books. Right now, I'm a stay-at-home mom to two children. I love hearing about the ways you enjoy and raised your children to be free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and to find their passions and start businesses during their youth. I've heard you describe how and why you homeschooled, how you helped your son Kevin with the window tending business and then Jared with the bike repair business. I'd really like to hear more details about how you raised your children. Mine are young, but I want to raise no more Monday's kids. It's okay with me if my kids don't grow up to be entrepreneurs, but I want to raise them in such a way that they're able to find their passions and feel like they are in the driver's seat of whatever they choose to do. Thank you for how you've touched my life. I look at the world differently, seeing opportunities and possibilities. Thanks to you, I want to do the same for my children. Well, thank you for your kind note, Diana. I mean, Joanna and I loved raising our children. We were never terrified of the terrible twos. And then people say, oh, just wait till they become teenagers. We loved those years as well. Now, they were not without bumps in the road, certainly. But we loved all the years of raising our kids and now enjoy the time with our our grandkids. But with our children, yeah, we tried from birth to find and nurture their natural gifts and talents. I mean, our three kids are very, very different. Joanna and I are very different. Our kids are very different. But, you know, Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old and not depart from it. Now, that verse has been distorted, misused, and hammered on kids a lot. I realize that. But really, in the original translation, it's more accurate to read it, train up a child in the way that he or she is bent. So our challenge as parents is to figure out how is this child uniquely gifted and wired? I mean, I love watching my little granddaughters here. You know, the unique things that they do that just absolutely fully express their personality, their desires. There's no cloudiness there at all. So we want to help nurture those things that are natural talents and interests of theirs. Joanne has a needlework that she has in our house that we had when our children were little. It says there are two qualities we want to give our children. One is roots. The other is wings. We wanted our children to have roots. Yes, to always have our home be a safe place to come back. It's interesting. You know, even as kids grew up, we joke about our kids being boomerang kids. You know, they leave and then they come back. They leave, they come back. Well, my son Jared is 34 years old now lives in Babasa, Kenya with his beautiful wife. Well, his beautiful wife got pregnant. 
Uh, we're thrilled about that. She came back. She's been back with us for two months, living with us. Last night, Jared came back, came back through Dubai to New York to Nashville. Now he's back here. So he'll be here for about three months. They'll both be here while their babies are They're living with us. Well, kids do that, but we want it to be a welcome place so they have roots. But we also want them to have wings. We don't want to have have those roots so deep that they don't know what to do when they get out on their own. So we want them to have wings, too. And I think that we do that by allowing them to experiment with sports, with art, a lot of different things. One of the guys in my Wednesday morning group, my Eagles group this morning, was talking about his daughter who has just gone to the Conservatory of music in cincinnati i don't think i got the name just right but anyway it's this highfalutin high class school in in cincinnati for music majors she plays the viola for years she's 18 for years she has been playing the viola at least six hours a day i mean she's going to be incredibly good with the viola now we're we're sure where that's going to lead it doesn't matter the principles of self-discipline and persistence that she's showing are very transferable should she choose another career path at some point. But at this point, he and her mom are supporting this gal in her desire, her passion to, to be really excellent with a viola. So it's an interesting, unpredictable journey in raising kids, but an exciting one as we really do find and nurture those things that make them unique. Brian says, uh, you said in a recent podcast, the grass is always greener where you water it. Uh, I mean, we hear the old adage, obviously, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And yeah, I do say that the grass is greener where you water it. Um, I'm an unemployed teacher, but communication is my overarching calling. I've tried to start businesses as a coach, speaker, and writer, but my problem is that I've lost the fire in the belly motivation I always had. My confidence is so low, I can't seem to make any traction how does someone like me who has taken so many body blows get his mojo back i'm sure that's a description that rings true in the ears of a whole lot of you listeners you know taking some blows maybe unemployed and lost a job business failure whatever how does somebody like me who has taken so many body blows get his mojo back well sometimes that fire in the belly comes from just being actively involved in the game I mean, I talk to writers who say, well, I haven't had any inspiration for six months, you know, haven't written. Well, you know what you need to do if you're a writer? You don't wait until you're inspired. You start writing. You start writing, you become inspired in the process. Speakers schedule engagements months and months in advance. I mean, I had a particular speaking engagement recently that was like two days after I had an emergency appendectomy. I was in horrible pain and misery. White as a sheet, I'm sure. Those people don't know that. I never shared that with them. I spoke. I wanted to do a presentation where I just knocked it out of the park. And I think I really did in that particular situation. Here's what you've got to do when you're feeling discouraged, low self-confidence or whatever. Don't trust your feelings. I used to teach psych 101 at the college level you know and here's kids first time away from home they're kind of on their on their own and a whole lot of things you know and they get out of bed and late drag in 20 minutes late for the first class you know slumped down there and i walk over you know hey dude what's up with you and it's oh man i just you know feel like crap today and my end encouragement was i want you to go back get in bed start your day over now here here's the deal (laughs) 
If you get out of bed, you feel sluggish. Boom, you walk with your shoulders drooping, your head down. You know, by 10 o'clock, everybody around you knows you feel terrible. You feel horrible. It's really obvious. What if you just did the reverse? You get out of bed. Wow, you got that scratchy throat. You really don't feel great. But you jump out of bed. You pull your shoulders back. You hit the shower. You take a brisk walk to your first class. You know what happens? By 10 o'clock, you really are feeling better. And everybody around you says, wow, looks like you're having a great day. Yes, I believe we can act our way into new feelings. If we wait on our feelings, we're very vulnerable. And we're very prone to have the ups and downs that our feelings are going to go through. Act your way into new feelings. It's not hypocritical. It's not being phony. It's something that works. So get in the game. If you want to coach, speak, and write, get in the game. Do those things. Don't wait until you feel like you're on top of the game. You got the fire in your belly. You get the fire in your belly by doing those very things. Well, Brent says from Missouri, in my company, after I've proved myself and I've become a trusted advisor, oftentimes I'll be asked to do certain tasks and pushed into certain opportunities that don't match my strengths or even what I want to do. I have a clear path in mind where I should focus my efforts, but it's difficult for me to say no as well. I want to do a great job, but I don't want to get off track developmentally either. How would you handle this situation? Well, I would handle this situation by recognizing, again, this is one job, one opportunity. Jobs are notorious for pushing us into things that we don't do well. I mean, there's no question about that. You ought to be able to stay focused on what it is you do well. But the the irony in corporate America is that people who do something really well get rewarded by being moved out of what it is they do well. I mean, think about it for a minute. We hire seven tellers for a bank. And all of a sudden, here comes the annual review. So we look at the seven. Yeah, here's somebody that did okay. Okay. Well, here's somebody who's just kind of struggling along at the bottom of the barrel. Here's somebody who did a really great job. Golly, all the customers love her. They ask for her by name when they come in. You know what? We're going to reward her by promoting her to be branch manager. Now, what happened? Here's again, we took her out of where she just has these nice casual relationships with people. Now she's going to have to be the manager. She's going to have to be the bad guy for the people who are her peers, people that she's working with. She's going to have to discipline them, fire somebody if needed. She's going to have to turn people down for loans where now they don't think as highly of her because we took her out of where she was a superstar and put her in a position where she's going to have a whole lot of failure. I mean, it happens all the time. Now I've dramatized the Actual events may differ in your situation. I guess I'll do my disclaimer. But I mean, we see that happen again and again and again. So yeah, you need to know what it is you do well. Yes, there may be times when you're asked to do something else where you say, you know, that doesn't really fit my skill level. I don't think I'll do a a great job there. I would have to find you somebody who will do a better job. Now that may be questionable, but if you just say yes to everything, guess what? The company and others, your colleagues, your peers are going to keep piling things on you because you don't say no to anything. So at some point, with any modicum of success at all, you're going to have to say no or you're going to be working 80 hours a week. So get used to the idea that as you are more successful, you are going to have to say no to those things that you do not do well. Get, just be prepared to do that. Well, if all else fails, 
I guess you could do this. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Yeah, if it gets really bad, just jump on Johnny Paycheck's old brain there. You could just say what he told his employer. You know, there's just such a such a lyrical lilt to that. I can't help myself from playing that once in a while. I know that's not what any of you are going to do. Well, maybe some of you are going to do. You know, and it, the world doesn't end if it comes to that. The job doesn't fit. The world doesn't end if you walk out. There are many opportunities out there today. You know, I, I know we hear a lot about, golly, about the economy being bad, about we're in a slump, unemployment is high. You know what? Unemployment is really at a very reasonable level right now and is coming down as you're listening to this. There are opportunities out here. And the thing that, the thing that really blows me away is there are so many things that are being done where people are finding or creating meaningful work that is not reflected in any way on the unemployment rolls anyway. There's a whole lot of people, Chris Gilbu in his book, The $100 Startup, talks about a lot of people who are essentially accidental entrepreneurs. They didn't mean to be, but all of a sudden they're confronted with, I need to generate income. You know what? I'm just going to do something. I'm going to take that little idea that I've had brewing at the back of my mind. There's, there's an incident that he gives in there that is just hilarious. An architect lost his job. This is a real story. An architect lost his job. His wife liked to go to the farmer's market. We go to the farmer's market in Franklin here nearly every Saturday. So his wife liked to go there and he thought, you know what? I'm just going to set up a little booth. All these people coming by, he set up a booth, five cent architectural advice. Remember in Peanuts, how Lucy used to set up her psychiatric advice, five cents? He set up a booth, five cents for architectural advice. People would come by and talk about a home improvement or a porch they wanted to build or a fence in the backyard. He'd give them real advice as an architect. Well, people started saying, you know what? Can you come over to my house and really help us lay this project out? He started getting consulting opportunities. Because of the uniqueness of what he was doing, it was covered on CNN, MSNBC, and some and BBC picked up coverage of what he was doing, five-cent architectural advice. He got major national coverage and now is fully engaged as an independent architectural consultant. But he started by doing that. I mean, I love those stories. If you're out of work, figure out a creative way to let people know what it is that you do. Dan, how do you know the difference between trying to force yourself to perform at a job situation that just is not a right fit? Versus growing through something that isn't comfortable and is new to you. Now, this is, again, we're here to a lot of common theme here. Boy, I'm in a job. Yeah, but it's just not a fit. It's stretching me. It's frustrating me. Now, this guy goes on to say, and he says, don't use his name. That's cool. After having some success selling cars at a dealership these last five months, I seem to have hit a brick wall. Other salespeople are also saying it's slow. I now need to prospect friends, family, neighbors, businesses to drum up business, or at least that's what the managers are saying at the dealership. It seems that our meetings are becoming more and more dreadful, and it isn't fun going to the dealership anymore. Is there a right fit for me, or am I just afraid of getting out of my comfort zone? The managers are also getting heat from upper management, and then it flows downstream to the salespeople. Well, welcome to the world of selling 
there are always going to be ups and downs. And after five months, yeah, you've usually already gone through your list of family, friends, and neighbors. That's when you really have to figure out if you're a salesman or not. Because, you know, especially car dealerships, car dealerships expect anybody they hire. I mean, it could you could be flipping hamburgers today's or asking if you want to have plastic or paper with that at Publix. And the next day you're selling cars. Sales, cars, dealerships assume that everybody can sell to three people. Everybody has enough credibility to sell three cars. And some dealerships operate on that principle. They get you in, they give you 30 days, you pull in every family, friend, neighbor that you know, you sell your three, they boot you out and they get somebody else in. Now that's a very inefficient method, but a lot of dealerships still operate kind of just on rotating salespeople through. But so you've been there five months, you've gone through family, friends and neighbors. Now you need to figure out how to sell, how to really sell those easy pick and the low fruits that you got, the low hanging fruits that you got with people that you know, who trust you and love you already and want to see you succeed. Now that's not the real test of being a salesperson. So now you are at the point. Okay. What do you have to do? Pick up Joe Girard's book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. Joe's still listed as the greatest salesperson in the car industry and history. I mean, he averaged six cars a day for an entire year selling Chevys at a Chicago dealership. So we weren't talking about exotic cars. We weren't talking about high dollar cars. Six a day, sometimes hit as high as 18. That's pretty incredible. Pick up his information, Joe Girard. But... Pick up other things. Secrets of Closing the Sale by Zig Ziglar. Get Tom Hopkins' books on selling. Pick up Brian Tracy's audio program on the psychology of selling. Learn how to be an effective, remarkable salesperson. You can do that. Salespeople don't just wander in. Either you do it or you don't know. You learn how to do it well. Now's the time to get in the trenches. Learn how to do it well. It doesn't matter what the economy is doing. It doesn't matter if things are slow in your town or if the other salespeople are sitting on their butts smoking cigarettes hoping somebody walks onto the lot. You aren't going to be that person. Get out there. Figure out how you're going to prospect and market. Get referrals in ways that make you at the top of your game. Dan, this is Rob. Dan, I want your advice on something. I've been in management at my job for over five years. I've managed to make it by doing the bare minimum of speaking. I do weekly meetings with over 15 people on my team, and I do okay on that. But with a larger group, I still have trouble and get nervous. I'm great at communicating via email or writing, but I have trouble carrying conversations on, even with my family. I also think people generally don't find me interesting enough to listen when I speak and know what might be in my approach and tone. Your teachings have helped me over the years, and I'm thinking about doing your eight hours with Dan in August. Please help. What is my next step? Here's my advice. Don't do eight hours with Dan in August. That's me, the guy, saying that's not what you need. In that program, I go through how to understand yourself, how to create a clear focus, how to get out here you know, get a job, do a job search, start your own business or whatever. Those are not the issues that you're talking about. You're talking about you get nervous standing in front of people. I want you to today find in your area the next beginning of a Dale Carnegie course. 
I want you to take the Dale Carnegie Human Relations course. Take the money you would have spent on eight hours with Dan. You invested in the Dale Carnegie program. That is a phenomenal program. Now, I say that I know of, of which I speak. I was this shy, quiet, little Mennonite kid coming off a farm. And I knew that I wanted more. I wanted to go more, do more, be more, have more, all those things. And I, I had to figure out how I was going to do that. I got an opportunity when I went back for my master's degree. They gave me a teaching assistantship. Meaning that I was teaching classes. I was full responsibility for the classes. I mean, I spent most of my first semester with nausea because I was so terrified of what I was doing. They thought I could do it. They thought I had the background that made would make me a candidate for that. I was terrified. But I got involved in the Dale Carnegie program. I went through the program. I became a teaching assistant, assistant with them, continued taking other people through for the next several years. I got involved in Toastmasters, which is another great group. But I really would highly recommend the Carnegie program as a start. They will help you with the exact things that you're talking about. The confidence to stand up and present. We talk about things that we, they, they'd use the phrase earn the right. So you don't speak about, I mean, I don't speak about the economy in Russia. I mean, I speak about things that I understand. I think about how to get a job, how to find your passion, how to turn that into meaningful, fulfilling work. I can even talk about, you know, old muscle cars and growing hostas. There are other areas of expertise that I have that I can talk about with passion and conviction, but They'll teach you how to do that, how to present in two minutes, how to present your ideas in a convincing way, how to create that elevator speech. So when somebody says, what do you do? You don't fumble around for the next five minutes. You can tell them between going from the first floor to the third floor exactly what it is you do. That's what I would recommend. And you can be more confident in what you're doing. Let me grab one more here. This this is a great question. Dan, I'm a faithful listener and a high school student. With a 3.5 GPA and a spot on the honor roll, I heard you heard about you through Dave Ramsey. I've been listening to you for approximately six months. As a soon-to-be senior in high school, I'm searching for colleges. I would love to go out of state for school, but I don't know what I want to do or where I want to go. I love business, politics, science, cooking, baking, and history. It scares me to look at schools not knowing what I want to study. I often end up my college search sessions feeling very overwhelmed i cannot stand the thought of messing my future up or failing in college how do i pursue a future that i love and choose a career everyone says i still have time to decide but i'm unsure who's right wow great question love your question this comes from hunter hunter love your question you are really on top of your game to be looking at this in this way at this point as a junior in high school, soon to be senior. Here's my advice. Yes, you do have plenty of time. This is not a one-time decision where either you get it right or you miss it entirely and spend the rest of your life, you know, on the wrong track. No, not at all. I mean, this whole process, the next 10 years are going to be a process of exploring different things, a process of clarifying. I mean, we know that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree because they got pushed into going right into college out of high school, didn't know what they wanted to do. So all they did was flounder around. And now years later, they're figuring out what they want to do and they're redirecting. Well, I think it's better 
to figure out what you want to do on the front end. But this is my advice. Going to college to figure out what you want to do is a very expensive clarification process. If you don't know what you want to do, give yourself a little slack. Take some time off. Take a year off to study some other things. Get a job. Work somewhere for six months. Then change fields and go to work somewhere else. I mean, get paid while you're trying to figure things out instead of paying money that's going straight down a black hole. I mean, just this morning, Dave Ramsey and I were talking about the, the how it's obscene the, a, the debt that people are coming out of college with. I mean, people coming out of college with $200,000 worth of debt and still not knowing what they want to do. I mean, that is absurd. It's ridiculous. It's a disservice to people. Parents need to wise up not allow their children to make those kind of decisions at 17 and 18 years old colleges. I know you're selling a product, but boy, I would hide my head at night for the way that you sell some of the product that you have in debt, putting people in serious indebtedness with no marketable skills. When they come out the other side, it's something we all ought to be ashamed about as a country. Don't do that. Don't go to college as a way to figure out what you want to do. Give yourself some time. You got plenty of time. I have parents calling me, Dan, my daughter's getting ready to go into school. My son just got out of college at 22, still doesn't know what he wants to do. You know, what can I, can I have him come see you? No. Call me in 10 years. Let him get out here and get some experience. That's part of the clarification process. We all go through that. I certainly didn't figure out that I wanted to be a coach, speaker, and author at 18 years old. I didn't figure it out when I was, 28 years old or 38. It took some significant life experience to figure out and be a candidate to do those very things that I do now that have really put me in my zone. I love doing what I'm doing, but it was a process to figure that out. Enjoy the journey. It's not just getting to a destination. Success is more a direction than it is a destination. Thanks for being part of the audience. Get involved in 48days.net. Check out our live events here in the sanctuary. Thanks for being part of this group as we continue together to find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable.